Welcome to the Primal Blueprint Podcast, featuring fresh and lively commentary on all things Primal, including Q&A sessions with Primal Blueprint founder, Mark Sisson, special guest interviews hosted by Mark Sisson, and conversations with Primal Blueprint authors and other health and fitness experts. The show is presented by Damage Control, Master Formula, the world's most potent multivitamin, mineral, antioxidant, anti-aging supplement, available at primalblueprint.com. Past episodes are available for download or to review written summaries at blog.primalblueprint.com. Hey everybody, welcome to the Primal Blueprint Podcast. This is Brock Armstrong here, and today it's a little bit of a different sort of thing. I wanted to expose you guys to some people out in the world, in their cities, making a difference, not just for themselves, not just for their family, not just for their friends, but actually influencing the place that they live, influencing the city and the the libraries, the downtown core, the way that people are traveling, all of that kind of stuff. And really like trying to trying to bring some of the ideas that we talk about a lot through the Primal Blueprint and and that other people just talk about in terms of trying to stay happy and safe and and well throughout the year. And now we're just coming out of a very cold winter, especially here in the east where where I am, but especially always where my guest is from way up north in uh, Edenton, Alberta. It's always a, a cold and long winter, but um, the fellow that I'm talking about, his name is Robin Mazumder, and he is a passionate community builder dedicated to helping make his city a fun, vibrant, and socially inclusive city. He has a keen interest in how city building and urban design can contribute to wellness, particularly mental health. He was named recently one of the top 40 under 40 by Avenue Magazine and a top influencer by Metro Edmonton. For his day job, he's an occupational therapist, and he also teaches mental health at McEwen University. And the rest of the time, he spends his time doing some pretty cool stuff, including a thing called Light Bright Yeg that I know we're going to talk about because that was actually the reason why my ears perked up when I heard about Robin. Uh, He also did the 102nd Avenue pop-up bike lane. And we're talking about a city in the far north, so that's an interesting thing to get some bike lanes going. And Human Scale Yeg, which I actually don't know what that is, so I'm intrigued by that. And also the Yeg Snow Fight, which is another reason why I wanted to have him on. So that was a very long-winded intro. Robin, welcome to the Primal Blueprint Podcast. Great. Thanks for having me, Brock. No worries. It's awesome when people are willing to, especially busy people like you, are willing to take time out of their day to come and share their their experience with us. So um, I made a couple of comments about you living in in a very far northern, dark, cold place. I'm going to let you just sort of set the scene. What time does the sun come up and what time does the sun go down for a good part of the year in Edmonton? For a few months of the year, um, particularly kind of December, January, and February, uh, the sun rises after 8 uh, a.m. and sets uh, well before 5 p.m. Um, so a lot of people, if they work in offices with no windows, uh, may not even see the sun if they don't get out of their office for the day. Yeah. So, so yeah, it's, it's, it's one, of the, one of the things um, that people have to kind of acknowledge when you're living at a, at a higher latitude like Edmonton. And conversely, in the in the middle of summer, the sun 
doesn't completely really go down all the way. It gets dark for maybe like two hours a night, and the rest of the time <laughs> the sun is just sort of barely below the horizon, which is kind of kind of cool, but it can kind of make you a little bit nutty too. Um, yeah, I mean, what goes up must come down. So I guess the winter <laughs> um, can be tough, but at the same time, Edmonton summers are amazing. You know, the sun's up, you're on a patio, it's 9 p.m., and, and you don't, you know, the sun's shining. So um, it's, it's amazing. I love it. So you kind of have to put up with a few months of, of that dark kind of winter uh, to benefit from being able to be outside and active in the summer and in the evenings as well. And as all the people who know, who listen to this podcast and read Mark's Daily Apple and the Primal Blueprints and stuff know that sunshine and sun exposure is so important. It's, uh, it's not only a, a vital source of vitamin D and a hormone precursor and a circadian rhythm resetter, but it's also just the, the thing that really keeps us going as a species. When the sun is down for that much of the day and people aren't getting a chance to, to be exposed to it, I want to lead right into the Light Bright Yeg um, project that you completed this year. Maybe it's not even completed. Can you tell, uh, tell the listeners about this project? Yeah, so um, I had moved to Edmonton in 2012, and um, the first winter in Edmonton kind of rocked my socks. <laughs> I grew up in Victoria. Um, I had just been living in Toronto before uh, living in Edmonton. I know this, this past couple of years, you guys have had a bit of a rough, rough winters, but, um, I found in Toronto that, that the seasons were pretty, you know, you had three months of winter and then it was over. And so, um, Edmonton being at a, at a higher latitude, yeah, the winters can be tougher here. And yeah, so as I was saying, the first winter here, I wasn't doing too well, you know, I, it, it really impacted me. And, and so, um, after that winter, uh, I started to do some research and, and talk to my doctor, and it turns out that I, I was actually experiencing seasonal affective disorder, and um, which is characterized kind of by seasonal depression, which is a result of you know less exposure to sunlight. Yeah. And uh, and I knew the following winter uh, I wanted to be ready. You know, I, I I I I like being active. I like you know it's it's nice to feel happy, and <laughs> I, I wanted to do what I could to kind of address that. And so through some research I've, and talking to my doctor. I saw that um, light therapy lamps are actually pretty effective in treating seasonal affective disorder, um, and I, you know, I, I liked that because I wasn't, uh, you know, too keen on taking any medications at that point, and and where I could, um, you know, not have to rely on medication, I was, I was pretty happy to do so. So, so these are the light bulbs that emit, like basically what what would be sunlight, like a blue light spectrum. Yeah, well, it's um, so the the lights emit uh, light at an intensity of ten thousand lux, and lux is basically how you measure the intensity of light. And okay. uh, the sun emits thirty thousand lux, I think, and so ten thousand lux lights can somewhat um, uh, mimic uh, that intensity. Uh, and so there are these kind of giant lamps, and you can get them in different sizes, but uh, they're, the the good ones are pretty big and and, and bulky. Um, and you know, you sit by them for half an hour a day, um, and it it said that, and they're still trying to figure out what it is that that uh, makes them effective. But the fact that they emit that high intensity of light, and your eyes get exposed to that, some people say uh, either helps produce more serotonin, uh, which is one of those feel-good chemicals. Mm. Um, or, it, as you were saying before, it helps kind of reset your circadian, circadian rhythm. So in the winter, when, you, when the sun's up at 9 a.m., you know, it's, 
it, it throws your sleep cycle off in the yeah. same when it when it when it, when it uh, sets early as well. So uh, having you know you getting a dose of these uh, these lamps early in the morning can kind of really help address some of those issues. So, anyways. Um, through my process of doing some research, I saw that the really good ones were pretty expensive. And I began to uh, realize that some people might not actually be able to afford them. They're around three or $400, hmm. um, really good ones. And, and you know, I, work, I worked in mental health uh, and, and I knew that most of the people that I supported, many of whom are you know, on income assistance and, and uh, living in poverty, probably you know, a $400 lamp isn't the first thing that they'd yeah. no, I think that's paying. more important to spend on groceries at that point. Yeah, groceries and paying rent. And yeah. the base, you know, so anyway, so I, I saw that it was an issue. And so I, there was a, an organization in Edmonton called the Awesome Foundation. And they have chapters all over the world. They do some really cool work. And basically, they hand out thousand uh, dollar micro grants to start projects. So I pitched my idea to them. Uh, I got the funding. I, I and I also wanted to partner with with somebody in the community that uh, had public space uh, that was accessible to everybody, uh, where I could put these lamps. And it just kind of occurred to me that the Edmonton Public Library was the perfect place because nice. they're in, you know, all the time. Uh, they're accessible to everybody. Particularly, Edmonton's library uh, is doing really amazing work in in promoting um, kind of uh, inclusion and and ha- taking a really social role in our city. And actually, last year, uh, they won the uh, library journal, um, a library of the year award. So, oh, wow. yeah, so they're doing some really cool work. And so I reached out to them, and within a few days, you know, they got back to me and said, "Yep, we'll we'll host your lamps." And so. It was pretty much buying the lamps and sticking them in the library. And since uh, last January, um, people have been using them and, and reporting that they've been really helpful. So That's awesome. That not only did you make it so it, you could benefit and get some, uh, well, some benefit out of, out of having those present, but actually taking into consideration the rest of the community and perhaps the, more importantly, the, the portion of the community that would not be able to access this kind of thing. That's a very cool idea. It's a it's an interesting idea to begin with, but it's even you've taken it to another level by making it more accessible to the to the entire city like that. Yeah. So when you you went to this what was it called the awesome awesome project awesome um, the awesome foundation awesome foundation uh, yeah they have actually they have a I think they have a chapter in Toronto and, and they basically uh, they hold these pitch parties where. They'll, you know, they'll choose three or four ideas that have been submitted um, to to come in and, and talk about the ideas. And really, by the end of that evening, they give you a thousand dollars cash <laughs> to wow. go and 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 start a project. So that was a perfect amount of money. That I got I got three lamps. You know, it was enough to to outfit the downtown Edmonton Public Library with uh, with a few of them. So okay, so that was the that's the Light Bright Yeg project, and the other project that I. Um, that sort of made you notable in, in, uh, in my mind, notable enough that I wanted to reach out to you was the Yegg snow fight as the other, uh, the other sort of defining factor of, of Edmonton as a city and its location is the fact that it gets a lot of snow. And I was just there in January and it was minus 37 degrees Celsius, which I mean, that sounds shocking and it's a little shocking <laughs> for me having lived in Toronto for the last little while, but that is not uncommon. And with that kind of cold mixed with that kind of darkness, as you can probably guess, especially all you people living way far south, um, there's not a lot of activity that goes on outside. I mean, 
there is surprising amount of activity that goes on outside when you consider the fact that you could that the weather is actively trying to kill you. <laughs> um, but it's still there. It, it definitely is is limited in what you can do. So another one of your projects was really telling the the weather, the winter weather, that it can go um, it can go <laughs> suck an egg. <laughs> so tell us about the the egg snow fight. You know, I should say actually, Edmonton. Uh, yeah, winter can be tough, but people get out here. Um, people are running, uh, they're biking, um, and it's a city that I think is beginning to really embrace the winter. You know, and 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 when you recognize the fact that it's going to be a part of your life, and and how can you make the most of it, you start to think in ways that, uh, you know, how to think you think in ways where you can make the most of the fact that if there's snow outside and and and, and it's cold. Uh, so yeah, basically, I was on Twitter, uh, tweeting about, uh, the, you know, maybe having a snowball fight with, uh, you know, some strangers. <laughs> and, um, at that time, somebody, uh, by the name of Jeff Chase, who I didn't really know, we just followed each other on Twitter, tweeted me back and said, yeah, we should maybe meet up and talk about organizing a snowball fight. Um, so we met for a beer later that week and, um, and we oh, ended up how all the best things in life are, are hammered out. <laughs> Over beer. I mean, that says a lot about Edmonton too. The fact that you can just meet somebody, um, you know, randomly with similar similar interests, and then kind of have this cool idea as a result of it. But yeah. Um, so yeah, Jeff and I actually really hit it off, and we've realized we had a lot in common. And and he does some really cool work with the city. As he's an urban planner, so we had all these this big conversation on city building ideas, and and a snowball fight. We thought would be a really cool way to get people together outside in the winter celebrating what what's awesome about winter and uh, so later that day um jeff and i put the project up on on make something edmonton which is a kind of a community building initiative in edmonton i can tell you more about that later but uh just as a way to kind of promote the idea because at that point we thought we might have a tough time roping you know maybe 30 or 40 people together so we wanted to spread the word yeah so we put that project up. We made a Twitter account, the Twitter hashtag Yeg Snow Fight, and didn't really think too much about it. You know, we just kind of let it sit, and we were busy. So we we went back to our lives, and within a week of doing that, you know, it, it just caught on. You know, there's something there was something about it that really appealed to people and Edmontonians, and, and it ended up trending on Twitter. And you know, we were uh, getting calls from from TV stations mm-hmm. to to talk to them about this. So at that point, we realized we're like, mm, this <laughs> this is going to be a little bigger than we originally, yeah. originally planned. And and our original plan was really to you know to get people to send us their their numbers, um, and we would just text them from our phones, say hey, you know, to do a spontaneous. So it would be something that was a kind of secret and last minute people would find out about it. We so we put an email address out there, um, yegsnowfight at gmail dot com, and just said hey, email us your phone numbers and we'll text you. Within a week, we had like thirteen hundred emails. Wow. At which point we realized that there was no way we could personally text 1,300 <laughs> people. And the emails just kept pouring in, you know, and, and they were awesome. People were so excited about it and they were so supportive of the idea. And so I think by the end of it, so we, we, we launched it in November and, 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 and we actually had the snowball fight in uh, early December. And by that point, we had 3,000 people who indicated interest in having this spontaneous snowball fight. You know, and and so we ended up using a web a website that basically mass texted people, and it was really cool to see. You know, um, watching watching social media after we sent that text out, it kind of erupted, and 
And then we actually had, we had the snowball fight on a, on a, on a Saturday. It was beautiful outside. It was like minus one or zero, wow. which is awesome. That's <laughs> like perfect. I never, yeah, I never thought I'd say that growing up in Victoria, but it, it holds <laughs> a little different out here. So um, well, that's like perfect snowball making weather too. It's just a little bit sticky snow when it gets too cold. You can't make a snowball. Yeah, you know what's interesting actually that day. Even though it was warm, the snow was still pretty dry. So people ended up kind of like breaking pieces of like that hard snow <laughs> and just chucking it. <laughs> that sounds uh, dangerous. Which is, I know, actually, you know, it was, it was the type of snow that like literally like shattered into oh, okay. upon impact. So it was perfect for us because some of the concerns I think leading up to it were, you know, risk management and what if someone gets hurt. And, and we really believed in Edmontonians and that they would keep this a fun event. And they did. It was amazing. We partnered with the Edmonton Food Bank. Uh, we filled a whole van full of food and, wow. and raised some money for them as well. So we told everyone to come to, who came to the snowball fight to come with a can of food or some donations. So it was amazing. You know, um, we never really thought that's what it was going to be. We originally thought we'd have, meet up with you know a few people in a in a park and have a snowball fight, hmm. which is what it was. But so many people came out. I think we had like seven hundred people who made their way um, to the snowball fight. There were children, there were older adults, there were people from all backgrounds. Just having fun together, you know, and it was just everywhere you looked, there was a smile on someone's face, you know. And I think, you know, for me being a, a recently a recent Edmontonian, um, it was really cool to see how with just having fun and playing, people could really take a different perspective on what winter is all about. And yeah. it make it made it make it makes me excited, you know, if we if if, if the weather cooperates in a, in a good way, I guess before uh you know, before spring spring comes maybe we'll have another one because it was just such a blast. That's fantastic. That's it really does speak to the whole human passion for play. And yeah. just everybody does want to just have a good time and and community as well, just getting out with with people you know and people you don't know and just having a having a good time. Totally. Yep. Well, okay. So there's another another project that was in your list of projects here on on your website, the 102nd Avenue Pop Up Bike Lane. Can you tell us about that one? Edmonton is a city that's undergoing a lot of change, and uh, our recent mayor Don Iveson is amazing, and his city council is fantastic, and they're really bringing a new energy to the city and. Edmonton, I think, historically was wasn't really built for bikes, you know, and and uh, no, well, it's an oil town. It's a it's a boom town, oil town. It's all about big trucks, not about not about little tiny bicycles. <laughs> yeah, and I think what's cool about Edmonton is that um, because it has, uh, you know, it's really we- it's weathering the storm right now in terms of the economic and uncertainty in Alberta uh, because we have other other forms of uh, of generating income, and so you have people coming here from all over the country to work because there's work. And so young professionals, there's all, the city's packed with young professionals from places like Toronto and Vancouver. And so they're bringing this energy and this, this expectation of their city, you know, that we want to live in a city where we can take um, transit easily and we want to live in a city that's walkable and bikeable. And, and so with that surge of energy, the city was looking at uh, building some, some separated bike lanes, you know, uh, because I mean, research shows that they're the most, uh, they're the safest and most effective way of, of getting you know, people around uh, who want to use uh, bicycles. And so, so the city had talked about these bike lanes, and uh, we they had a, a few consultations. Um, and then when the budget came out, it was evident that the bike lanes uh, downtown weren't really a high priority, which means that there was a potential that they wouldn't get funded and that we wouldn't have the bike lanes. And so. 
there was a group uh, of pretty passionate and engaged Edmontonians led by uh, one of uh, our ex-city councillors, Michael Fair, who's this amazing man who does such great work for our city. And he kind of brought a bunch of people together to say, how can we, how can we address this and how can we raise some awareness? And at that time, I saw that um, it was in the summer and I saw that uh, there were some pop-up bike lanes. I think it was in like Minnesota or something that they had this amazing kind of two-block pop-up bike lane to show people what it could be like hmm. to have a bike lane. So we uh, we pitched that. So idea. this isn't a big disruptive thing. This isn't one of those like we're going to get in in drivers' faces and show show them that bicycle rights are are popular. This was much more of a this is what it would be like kind of thing. Yeah, we wanted to. You know, we didn't want to be rebels. You know, we didn't want. I mean, there's definitely an activist nature to it, but it was really trying to cooperate and show that it's actually better for everybody. You know, I think. Yeah. I'm a driver too, and you know I'm a pedestrian and I'm a cyclist. And so, when I drive, I, I mean, I've been I've almost hit people when they're biking too, and, and, and no one wants to do that, right? I think so. This kind of us versus them attitude that can often dominate the conversations around uh, you know active transportation and cycling infrastructure really isn't that, isn't that helpful because exactly. everybody yeah. everybody is everything, you know. Like we're not. It's not like you're not your car as much as you're not your bike. You're a yeah. person. And so, <laughs> no, well said. That's true. yeah. So, you know, to be able to um, show people what it could be like, even for drivers to say, hey, listen, you don't have to worry about a bike coming into your lane or you drifting into a, into a bike if there's a separated space for, the people, uh, for both forms of transportation. To yeah, use. it works so, on both sides. Yeah, it's, 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 work, it, it's good for everybody. And so basically what we did is, uh, you know, originally we were, I, I was thinking we'd do about two city blocks of, of just using some kind of uh, pylons to separate out a bike lane. And, and my, Michael uh, said, no, we're doing 10 blocks. We want to really show people. <laughs> so we did a 10-block long pop-up bike lane um, over the course, course of a couple of hours. It was beautiful outside. It was, it was in September, I think. Yep. And it was awesome. I mean, people who didn't even know it was there who were on bikes would just you know, jump on, jump in on the lane. And, and so we had a bit of a rally. We, we started at one, at one end and biked to the other and then had a barbecue at the end. And, you know, it was only over the course of an afternoon and it wasn't this kind of long drawn out, uh, you know, disruptive thing for people. And, I, and cars liked it too. They were honking and support and, and really it just demonstrated that we have space for everybody on the road. And, and so later that, that year in December, uh, council, um, led by the mayor, uh, approved the bike lanes. And so it was, a, it was an effective means of generating support um, and, and gaining some awareness on why they're important. Wow, that's yeah. fantastic. That's, a, that's the perfect ending to that story. I know. I was really, <laughs> December was tough because uh, we, we still weren't sure if it were going to go through. And so, yeah, it, it really demonstrated that by being a citizen and, and engaged and standing up for what you believe in, in a, in a productive and positive way that there's a way to kind of uh, shape your city. And that's exactly the, the message that I'm hoping is coming across in this, uh, in this podcast. I mean, uh, the reason that I wanted to bring you on the show, Robin, was really just to show people that just getting a little bit involved in your city can make such a huge difference. And you can bring some of these, these ideas, these healthy ideas that we may be percolating in our brains after after reading the blogs and reading the books and and trying to adopt a better lifestyle for ourselves that we can just sort of spread it around a little bit and that it's not i mean you, the city of edmonton is it's almost a million people isn't it 
Yeah, yeah. I think the last census put us at like 1.3 million with the surrounding areas. So yeah, so we're not talking about some tiny little town here where everybody's buddies and you can go and have a beer with the. Well, you probably can go have a beer with the mayor by the sounds of things, but <laughs> yeah. it's not like a 10,000 person city. This is a, a city of some substance, and and yet people are having a profound influence on it. Yeah, I mean, it's what I've kind of, and this kind of ties ties into what you guys are doing with the primal blueprint. I think recognizing that, you know, um, just as much as our, 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 I guess our guts haven't evolved to, to eat things like processed wheat, I think our brains and, and, and our kind of emotional needs are the same. And, and we grew and, and developed and evolved in villages, you know, and, and cities, as much as they can be a, a giant machine and people can just kind of become robotic and drive to work, drive home, go to sleep, same thing every day. And, may think that they don't have that potential to impact their communities. I mean, cities are, on the, on the, on the other hand, are, there's, a, there's potential to build that village mentality in a city. And, and that's mm-hmm. through engaging and, and, and recognizing that, you know, it's not this giant machine, but rather a kind of a, a lush, organic environment where you can act on ideas that promote connections. You know, it's, it's something that you can shape. It's not this, you're not a victim and you're not, you're not really... Um, at the whim of, 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 of the politicians and the, and the policymakers, but you can actually play a, a role in shaping that. Yeah, being a, a cog isn't necessarily a, a terrible thing. You can be a cog with influence, not just a, a passive cog. Yeah, and I think, you know, the, the really cool thing about doing these, these events for me and, and these, these initiatives is just meeting new people and, and really seeing that, you know, we're all, we're all in this together and if we can work on these things and have a little fun in the process, Living in a city can be awesome, you know, and, and it can be a really cool way to to engage with with people from all backgrounds and, and learn, you know. So fantastic. So yeah. I have to ask about the human scale yeg. Basically, uh, there's a documentary called The Human Scale, and it's it, it's based on the work of this amazing architect named Jan Gale, who um, really helped create uh, and inform how Denmark as a city operates. Sorry, as sorry, Copenhagen uh, mm. operates, and it's you know now it, people look at Copenhagen like one of the most bikeable, urban, you know, walkable cities in the world. But it wasn't always like that. Um, in the '60s, uh, it was actually kind of like Edmonton, you know. Uh, when what we're trying to do right now is in that there was freeways and and not a lot of public spaces, and and, and it was really built for cars. And so um, he did some work around when we say the human scale is building cities for humans, not mm. for cars, and. And so what we did with that, it was really simple. We just, you know, I, I partnered uh, with the Edmonton Public Library again. They had, a, they had a space that we could use and make something. Edmonton uh, was a partner as well. And we just, we showed the documentary and had a panel discussion afterwards just to hear uh, some thoughts on how we could apply this knowledge and this type of thinking to Edmonton. Because Edmonton, as I said before, is growing at such a fast you know, we're the fifth largest city in Canada. I think we're projected to grow, you know, within the last uh, five, I think five years, something like 60,000 people moved here or something. So, you know, if we're not conscious of how we build our city, we may not change the patterns that brought us to where we are today, you know. So um, just to have a conversation. And so we, you know, I use the the hashtag human scale yeg just to keep the conversation going on Twitter and, and, and social media around what are things that we can do 
are, you know, and bike lanes is one of them, but what are some things that we can do to ensure that we're still building our city for people and not, you know, not for cars in, in industry? That's fantastic. That's, I, it's funny that we have to actually make a movement or make a, a conscious decision to do that, that it seems so, that's what we should be doing <laughs> by default. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, and I think, I, you know, as, I, as you mentioned before, so my interests really lie in how we build our cities and how that impacts health. And as a, you know, someone with a healthcare background, I see that the way our city is built impacts us so much. And sometimes I think, you know, and Jane Jacobs wrote a book way back in, I think it was like the 50s or something. And she, she was talking about this back then that cities, you know, are, 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 are crucial and how they're designed are crucial to our health and wellness. But now I think people are really beginning to um, appreciate that. Uh, and I mean, Charles Montgomery is an amazing kind of, planner and thinker from Vancouver, he wrote a book um, a few years ago called The Happy City, which is about that, is how can you build mm. cities for happiness. So it's, you know, it, it, it needs to happen. We have to start thinking a bit more. We have to start thinking more about how how these decisions and, you know, how we build roads and park spaces, how that can make people better or inhibit their health, health at the same time. Ah, fantastic. So you've mentioned this thing, Make Something Edmonton, a couple of times now. What, uh, what exactly is that? So uh, Make Something Edmonton is a, a community-building initiative that grew out of some research done by Todd Babiak, who's a novelist. Um, and he talked to Edmontonians uh, about what they loved about Edmonton. And what came of it was uh, resoundingly across the board that was that Edmonton was an amazing place to build things and make things and, and create things. So what that means is basically if you have an idea, Edmonton is the perfect place to implement that idea because there's a community that, that will support you in the process. Uh, we don't really have uh, this kind of pretentious hierarchy where, you know, they're the, the, the scene or what you have. You, anybody who wants to do something in their community can do it in, in Edmonton will support them in that effort. So that research turned into an uh, initiative that is, is funded and, and directed by the Edmonton Economic Development Corporation, which is part of the city of Edmonton. And really, it's helping connect people. It's, it's celebrating projects uh, that, that embody that, that, that idea that Edmonton's a great place to start an idea. Um, and it's kind of a, you know, a collection of reminders uh, that, you know, we live in an amazing city that that supports innovation and creativity. I'm, I, I call it home. I'm, I'm, I'm proud to be an Edmontonian. We're sort of pushing it for, for time, but I do like to ask one little piece of, a little nugget from, uh, from each of the guests that the listeners would be able to implement into their lives later on today, or even like right now, that would make their lives better. Maybe in, in the spirit of this podcast, make their society or make their, their community a little healthier, a little happier. What would what would you tell the people they can they can start doing like right away to to just improve their situation? I think I think it's just important to remember that you have more agency and power than you think you do. I think and and if you have an idea to do something cool in your community, just do it. You know, um, and ask for help along the way because it takes a team and, and collaboration to do to do great things. And, and so I guess, yeah, just act on those ideas that you think are a little off or a little too crazy or, or whatever. Um, and remember that there's someone else out there who probably wants you to do that. So act on those ideas. Nice. 
So later on today, when you're riding your bike home and somebody swerves into your lane, <laughs> just know that you can do something about it. Yeah. <laughs> Slam on the brakes. <laughs> exactly. Slam on the brakes on a, in metaphorical and literal sense. Yeah, totally. Well, thank you very much, Robin, for coming on the podcast and sharing your story and hopefully inspiring some people out there to to make some differences in their community, in their city, even in their neighborhood. And um, yeah, and we will hopefully get to check in with you because I know you've probably got a, a few other projects going on and a few more things up your sleeve. Can you give us any any sort of teasers or hints on what's going on next? You know, one of the things that I recognize about Yeg Snow Fight is that we have all these amazing spaces, uh, like public spaces, like parks and, and, and areas for people to congregate. So some of my uh, future ideas are going to involve creative ways to activate those spaces and, and get people out connecting with each other. Perfect. Yeah. I love it. Well, once again, thank you very much. And everyone, thank you for tuning into the Primal Blueprint podcast. Safeguard your health with the most comprehensive all-in-one nutritional supplement on the planet. Primal Nutrition's Damage Control Master Formula. Forget mixing and matching with multiple bottles of individual agents. Now you can just take a single packet of the most potent and optimally balanced multivitamin, multimineral, antioxidant formula available on the market. You'll enjoy complete immune system, cardiovascular, memory, nerve, bone, liver, and anti-stress support, and much more. With 51 research-proven ingredients, Damage Control Master Formula helps you combat oxidative damage in every cell and every system in your body and shore up any dietary shortcomings with complete protection. Order Damage Control Master Formula today at PrimalBlueprint.com and check out the incredible free shipping offer for our convenient and custom-designed auto-ship program.